That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Michelle Pobega, naturopathic doctor. And I'm Dr. David Miller, ND, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting all the pieces together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of healthcare. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you should know about. Hey, welcome to another episode of That Naturopathy Podcast. Dr. David Miller, ND here. Dr. Michelle Pobega, ND, over there. Hey, over, over there. Over here. Yeah. Uh, hi, guys. We have a uh, very fun topic today. We're going to talk about feces. Uh, everyone's favorite topic. But what right we're going to gonna talk about... Yeah, because you always hate when I have lingering prelude to stuff. Um, <laughs> but we're going to talk about uh, fecal transplants where essentially there is the in injection through enema or some sort of medium of feces that has been properly processed from a healthy Har- individual harvested uh emulsified um and then put into somebody who has a unhealthy microbiome like chronic infections like c difficile that have been antibiotic resistant etc um, to see if they can change the microbial terrain and allow that body to finally heal more effectively from that infection. We're, we're talking about the transferring of poop from one person to the other, really. Great, great direct uh, intro, Michelle. Thanks, sir. I'm getting um, a cool thing. A cool thing about um, this uh, fecal transplant is, yeah, like you said, um, probably the number one thing they're looking at it for most of the time is C. diff yeah. infections, which is a great, I mean, it totally makes sense. It totally makes sense to to do it for that. But what's what's really cool is um, I'm actually looking into this a little bit uh, more in depth for someone I know who has a neurological condition, and mm-hmm. and there are some clinicians brave enough to to look into this uh, fecal transplant for. Uh, it looks like neurological conditions specifically. I don't know. I I have it written here in my notes but i what else did you did you find anything else like there's a bunch of other conditions that are beyond uh just like gut colon conditions right? yeah so so i found where's my where are my notes on this ah oh, geez um hold on a second where did i where did it go where did it go Guys, non-intestinal I swear. oh non-intestinal issues. issues here we go so there was a 2015 article in the world of uh, world journal gastroenterology <clears throat> and it was a review that shows uh there's a lot of science with fecal uh fecal transplant application in previously unsuspected areas including things like metabolic disease neuropsychiatric disorders autoimmune diseases allergic disorders and tumors there was one specifically that uh one study where there's a randomized controlled trial that conducted uh fmt or fecal what's what's the m stand i think for it's again? microbial fecal, fecal microbial, microbial transplant um in metabolic syndrome by infusing the microbiota from lean donors basically the fe- 
fecal matter from a lean donor or that from a self-collected feces. And the resultant finding shows that the lean donors feces group uh, displayed an increased insulin sensitivity along with increased levels of eupteric acid producing intestinal microbiota. So I, I remember hearing something about this too. If you start doing this and you add, add it to somebody who has metabolic dis disorder and they're obese, even blood sugar dysregulation, your microbiota play a huge part. And then it can start to shift things there. Um, and then there's also some um, case reports that are showing favorable outcomes, but it's not hundred percent conclusive yet, but there's research going into this for Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, myoclonus dystonia, chronic fatigue syndrome, and idiopathic thrombocytopenia purpura. This study also was saying that, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of extra intestinal disorders that are associated with a gut microbiome, like type two diabetes, cardiovascular issues, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, uh, autism, autoimmune issues, arthritis, Hashimoto's, like asthma, lymphoma. They have this whole list of things. So there could be some really interesting room for this type of a procedure for more than just gut related problems, which is kind of wild. Oh yeah. Um, and like big stuff, like, uh, like so my, my investigation is, is with regards to someone with Parkinson's, like, um, this person has, uh, chronic constipation, which I mean, I think regardless of what the capacity is of the fecal transplant to, to, um, to enact change on the neurological system, you know, mm -hmm. and, and maybe the autoimmune, the autoimmune, uh, sort of reactivity, even if all we did is help this person with chronic constipation, which is like really mm. screwing with her day-to-day -day enjoyment of life and, and ability to like uh, feed herself and enjoy food properly. Um, even if that's all it achieved, it would be great. Mm. But it looks like uh, with the, you know, with the microbiome being a huge sort of amplifier or dampener of autoimmune sort of capacity or tendencies, Man, it makes sense for so many things in you know the diseases of the Western world with all the autoimmunity and um, and all that. So yeah, I mean, who knows how far this stuff could go? Yeah, um, I think it could go really. I mean, I don't want to be all. I don't like to get like whatever anti-established business whatever, but I I'm wondering because it's not you know you're not going to be able to um, patent. I don't think you're going to be able to patent poop. Uh, yeah, it's coming from someone that, else. Yeah, I don't know if it, if that'll probably limit some of the investigation. Um, yeah, that will limit the investigation, I'm sure. Yeah, I just I feel like it's a really interesting thing, and I think I think the biggest take home from this is just how impactful the quality of your gut ecosystem is, which basically is what produces your poop how important that is for overall health. The fact that there are so many conditions and diseases connected to the gut microbiota and that doing a fecal transplant has been promised has promising effects with further research for some of those things i can't and safety. I cannot, and safety and i cannot stress enough like how important your gut microbiome is for immune system for inflammation for absorption of nutrients for like you it's, could keep going yeah right like it's yeah. it's unbelievable and then the and then the 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 um ripple effect of that after is also pretty astronomical so i think it's really interesting 
I think it's you really astronomical on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was good. Now, You're I good. think it's yeah, thank you. Uh, I did not do it on purpose, but thanks for catching that. Um, now, I do want to preface this that like Dr. Dave and I, neither of us have experience with this. Um, are we even legally allowed to recommend something like this in Canada? I don't even know. That's the one. Yeah. So, look. so there's I think um, it's used in research. So first, I and I didn't say this at the beginning, I maybe should have. First one, I think, documented in like modern Western literature would have been 1956 or something in the 50s. Mm -hmm. So relatively new thing. But um, but apparently uh, it's been it's be, people have been doing this previously. But I think maybe just the science and the research started in the 1950s. Well, I think no, that's that's why I prefaced it with like modern Western. <laughs> OK, yeah, whatever. I think it's been done in in, in other cultures. I, I forget there was some I believe some Middle Eastern or Eastern cultures um that were that were doing this uh, uh quite some time ago so i think you know further to what you're saying generally very safe generally like i we looked well we we how many studies we looked through a lot of studies yeah and generally at least 10 or 10 or 15 i think yeah at least 10 for me at least uh all of them said and and we should and we should specify because you can put the poop in many different holes, hmm. right? You can put it in your mouth hole, because uh, there's oral there's oral preps. And I'm like, yeah. well, if people if people have problems swallowing, I'm not I'm not thinking that's a great idea. Okay, but also like I will retaste peppers on a good day. I don't want or or fish oil imagine capsules. Like, could you imagine a poop burp? No, thank you. Oh my god. I just literally Michelle, dry heaved into the microphone. I hope, honestly, I hope no one was no one was eating when this thing that's fun. But then there's um they do tube, they do nasal gastric, nasal duodenal uh tube, so uh right into the small intestine directly. Um my research was biased towards looking at the enema root, the the intra uh, rectal root. Um and, and Michelle, you sort of hammered home why that makes the most sense to you too. Okay, well, first of all, because they're all equal in terms of their efficacy, they right. they do not with the research they have now, whether it's mm -hmm. uh, in in your mouth, into your intestine, or directly um, into the uh, rectal region, there seems to be equivalent sort of benefits. So my concern with the oral administration, or from the top down rather than from the mm -hmm. bottom up, is number one. Um, there's even concern about probiotics getting fully into the intestinal tract when we take a probiotics. Is the are are we getting the full potency of that once it gets to that very far end of the whole tubing that is your GI system? We've already mm -hmm. had certain kinds of concerns and questions about that. Your stomach acid also kills things. We're not supposed to have poop in our stomach and in our small intestine. So I feel like that doesn't feel practical to me. Feces are produced within the colon because of the microbiome feeding on the remaining fibers after your body's absorbed the nutrient from your food fibers from the small intestine the remaining fibers and 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 protein and whatever is now fodder for feeding the with the microbiome why would we put that into a different part of the body when it's when you have like a direct route from the back end to just deposit direct deposit we don't have to have an exchange of anything else. Yeah, yeah. Direct deposit. Also, with I, I you're right. It's the converse of the pro, of the probiotic. Uh, <clears throat> it's the converse of the probiotic uh, thing. Yeah, and I would also just not want to burp a poop. 
Like, that's weird. And it's like, Ugh. it's like, you know, dogs and animals, like they have their nose in, in poop and feces. Like we're always told to wash our hands after toilets because you don't want any fecal particles in your mouth. Like there's a reason for that, guys. Like, why would we? <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like there's a reason. The other thing that came up in my, so, so, so uh, the other thing that's come up for me is the list of criteria for the donors. And we've, we've, you and I have both seen what that looks like, but even before we started talking about this and before we started researching this, a client of mine who had chronic C. diff and the medical professionals were not able to help her. were finally getting some regularity with her bowels without being like coming out of her like lava 20, 25 times a day. Um, she even brought up possibly doing fecal transplants for C. diff. And I said, you know, I'd have to look into it. But then the the question was always, how do you find a healthy donor? And maybe I have a bias because the population that I see tend to have very disrupted gut systems. Most mm. people in modern day society are ignoring their pathologies and poor quality of health. And a lot of them, a lot of people have some of the, would check off some of these exclusion criteria when it comes to chronic diseases. So like, how do we find a proper sample size of people with healthy poops? Like that is, I was like, that's probably the bigger challenge beyond everything else. Honestly. Yeah. Um, they have exclusion. You looked at it. I did, right? but I'm just kind of like how, like that just like you narrow it, rules it down. Out a bunch of people. It rules out a lot. And, not a lot of people have healthy gut microbiomes. Let's not, especially not North America with the diets and the lifestyles we have. Like, let's be real. Like I was like, how do we find these needles in a haystack in North America? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you, I think I th- here, uh, here's, here's the ones that we found from uh, exclusion criteria mm-hmm. from one of the studies. It was uh, no active medical problems or a history of mm-hmm. IBD, uh, IBS, Clonic polyps, bowel cancer, any other GI disorder, like, well, yeah. that's a lot. Obesity, um, mm-hmm. high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, stroke, major depression. Uh, interesting because there are psychiatric benefits to improving your microbiome. Uh, infection with Hep B or C, HIV uh, or syphilis. I mean, I hope if you have syphilis, you're not trying to donate your poop. But anyway, mm-hmm. autoimmune disease, um, that's a big one. So. Mm-hmm. I think between autoimmune disease, high blood pressure, obesity, and any and metabolic GI disorder, syndrome, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're gonna have, uh, you know, limited people um, to choose from if you yeah. were to do it. But another sort of take home, I, I would say from this though, is that the the impact if this stuff works, it's very deep. Mm. If if you if you get a good uh, transfer, it will fundamentally change your microbiome. So yeah, if you are very sick, if one is very very sick. If there are very limited sort of treatment options, viable treatment options, and if we do this in the safest way possible, um, I would I would do this to myself, uh, and I would do this to my my son if yeah. he was very. So like I'm I'm not saying we just go out and do it. I'm saying if the risk benefit is there because the it looks like the risk is very little. Yeah. And if you're, you know, so that yeah. that's, that's one of my take homes on this is like, yeah. I would, I would never rule out doing this uh, on myself. Well, I'd, no, I don't think so either. It's just finding a finding a proper sample. And I think <laughs> I was reading some, some, yeah, I thought I was reading some studies where saying sometimes families are preferred, but then, or family members or people with close proximity with healthy microbiomes, 
um, and, 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 and obviously, uh, fall within the range of like not being part of that exclusion criteria. Apparently they don't, they don't want anyone with a BMI over a certain, uh, high, uh, certain amounts. You don't want it mm-hmm. less than 18. You don't want it over 65 years of age. You don't want to be severely or moderately under nutrition, no history of antibiotic use, no diarrhea in the last three to six months is what I'm seeing. No history of Clostridium difficile colitis as well. Um, no tra- history of travel to a tropical region in the last three months in case you're carrying a parasite, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. No history of malignancy or neurological development. And then they have to go through some crazy screening processes. Like you have to get blood testing and stool testing to make sure you don't have any pathogens, to make sure you don't have like rotavirus or parasites or anything. They're going to look at uh, different, like they're going to look at bacteria, viruses and parasites through blood work, as well as doing like liver function testing, inflammatory markers, complete blood count. Like it's a pretty thorough process. And when I was looking at one article, it was comparing from like a donor bank versus someone that, you know, and I think there's certain benefits to both. There's some familiarity. Maybe there's some shared microbiota between families, but from a donor bank, they can then use the samples of more than one person to create much more of a hardier, robust profile. I think I remember reading that. So I thought that was interesting too. And then you can maybe like fill in the blanks with some of the microbiome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, you know the the specifics. Mm-hmm. The specifics will will get better, um, but classification. I, I I mean I haven't looked at this in a few years, but when I was really hardcore looking into microbiome all the time, mm-hmm. it wasn't really clear that these like microbial fingerprints were were like extremely. Uh, uh, well characterized, like when you change, say you go from like having diarrhea all the time to having normal bowel movements. If they characterize the all of the genetic sort of material of the of the bacteria and virus, your microbiome, your 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 uh, all virome and all that, yeah, it didn't look like there was like really clear answers of oh this type of balance of bacteria and everything right. is. I think we, I think we still don't, we still don't know half. Exactly. We don't even know a fraction of what's going on in the colon. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's better now. It it probably is better now. And I know there was like some, there was some certain species and all that, that were like, they, they were definitely protective and all that. Like that one prosnitzia that Mm -hmm. comes out up in the research a lot too, but Acromantia keeps coming up a lot now. Yeah, exactly. There's a few mucinophilia, that one. Yeah, there's, but so what I would say is it, it probably at this point would be, you almost have to look phenotypically. You just go, okay, is this a healthy looking person with no obvious, you know, issues? Yeah. Look at those donor requirements. Do they have normal poop? Are they like, you know, do they have any neuropsychiatric issues and all that? And you might go just based on phenotype, like how they look and good poop and, the history of that, you might just go, it's probably worth it for some people. Um, Imagine that it'll start to, it'll start to change something. I saw some article that was checking for it for SIBO even, which is a small intestinal bacterial and they still found benefits by doing it this way. And I can't remember if they did oral or whatever. I can't remember how, what the administration route was, but they had like, it was only a small subset. It was like 55 SIBO patients. Um, and um, they did it for four consecutive weeks of taking capsules. So half the group did placebo, half the group did the FMT capsule. So I guess it was oral route. Um, I think, um, and then 
measurements were including like lactulose hydrogen breath tests, um, as well as GI symptoms and fecal microbiota diversity were assessed before and after. They did follow-ups at one month, three months, and six months. They measured changes in reflux, constipation, diarrhea, ingestion, and abdominal pain. And all of them had positive results within the FMT capsule group. Um, mm-hmm. so, like statistically significant enough of a difference. Um, and then the GI symptoms significantly improved in SIBO patients after treatment, but then they also found that the gut microbiota diversity of the FMT group had a significant increase where the placebo group showed none. And the only side effect observed was one participant in the FMT group that had a little bit of diarrhea symptoms after, but then quickly recovered. Mm-hmm. So, um, there might be some side effects. Like I've read that you might have an immune response. You might get a fever, you might get constipation, you might get diarrhea, you might get some abdominal pains, but they should be transient because you're, you're shaking up the ecosystem there. And yes, your body's going to have an immune response to that because most of your immune system is in your gut. So you're, you know, I feel like that's valid, but that might also be where, certain conditions like Crohn's or colitis or irritable bowel disease, you want to maybe proceed with caution because it is an autoimmune related condition. If you are going to trigger the immune response that may or may not lead to a desirable effect. But interestingly enough, there's been studies on using this for colitis patients, which is ulcerative colitis with some positive benefits. So I don't know, it might just have to be a case by case thing, or maybe you have to do things before and after to mitigate any inflammatory response in the GI system. It, the, the evidence trend generally is like a cross the board benefit. Yeah. That would be the general trend. I know there's specifics if you're real sort of yeah. like anal and want specifics to go look at the studies. But like when you review a whole bunch, you'll see, man, like it really looks uh, to be across the board Mm-hmm. effective at Im- mm-hmm. improve depends on what you know what's your what are your improvement measures that you're looking for but with a risk of very very little uh close to yeah. nil it looks like you did find you one wonder. where you did find one where somebody had uh colitis ulcerative colitis in remission for 20 years who then developed a flare of ulcerative colitis after the fecal microbial transplant because mm-hmm. they were trying to treat recurring C. difficile infections indicating that the need for caution is what this article says in treating um Clostridium difficile infection with fecal uh with FMT in patients with inflammatory bowel disease but then I've also come across a whole bunch of reports that were using it for ulcerative colitis um there isn't a lot of long term studies i think most of them went up to maybe like 6 months as far as i was able to find um so there needs to be more long term maintenance or long term studies to show any kind of uh, continued remission, but it still showed promising things like that, that one might've been an outlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe with like ulcerative colitis patients, it's a matter of like giving demulcents, giving anti-inflammatories, ensuring that the body's maybe in a, a more, even more stable state before and after a fecal transplant just to help mitigate or manage things. I don't know. I don't need, I just don't know if that would be my first place to start with fecal transplants as a UC client. So I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Well, first of all, we're not saying to do it and we don't do it and we're not allowed to do it, but it's worth definitely worth bringing this topic up. And um, I think, you know, what you're saying there is, is it's who knows the state of that person, whoever it was when, when they did this, you know, it's like um, sauna and cold immersion baths. Like you, the less, the less uh, your, your vitality is like the more sick you are, the less you do them yeah. at that point. You, you have, 
so I would say if you're going to do some something that's going to rock the microbiome boat quite a bit like this, you'd want to do it at a time that you are as relatively healthy as possible. You know, you wouldn't want to do it when you're like, you know, hectic and like 97 pounds, you know, like in the middle of that sort of like uh, those sort yeah. of physical stressors. You wouldn't want to do it then. You'd want to do it. Okay, we got a little bit of a breather now. Let's do it while I'm in a kind of feeling good uh, situation. That's what I would think. I mean, I feel like that's just the responsibility of a good clinician to assess yeah, exactly. the situation and support their patients based on where their patients are at. So this is not just like an across the board. Everyone do a fecal transplant. You get you get poop. You get poop. You get poop. <laughs> but it is like um, fecal transplants, like lighting a candle, right? Like it, it doesn't it doesn't put the candle out. You, you're going to poop again. You know, like when you light someone else's candle, it doesn't yeah. hurt the candle. <laughs> Like, why did I? I, I would, have some I, poop. Have yeah. some poop. I would also say I don't think this. You're is, just gonna. You're just gonna go on from that. Yeah, I'm just gonna you're go just, on yeah, from that because I don't even know how to respond to that. Uh, I'm just gonna <laughs> pretend it didn't happen, Dave. Um, but I think the key thing is is the benefits of this, just like a probiotic, could still be transient because every time, like you said, every time you have a bowel movement, we're going to lose microbiome and bacteria. So this is not a magic bullet that then takes the place of a diet that feeds healthy microbiome, a lifestyle that supports a healthy microbiome, proper hydration, etc. stress management, those things still need to be in play. Um, cause you still have to fertilize what you, the seeds you planted guys, like you can't just throw this in there and then waste your life with garbage mm -hmm. food after. Right. So, um, uh, but, but it does seem promising. Most of the initial studies were on Clostridium difficile and that's where a lot of the big focus was at the onset. And it seems like it can be a huge game changer for people who have like antibiotic resistant C. diff, which is awesome. Yeah. It seems across the board. Yeah. Really very, good. very substantial evidence yeah. across the board for that. Yeah. I, uh, I, I would imagine this will become more common and I imagine more and more people are going to do it at home. There's even studies talking about at home, uh, transplants. So it's, it's even out there in the literature guys, like you can look it up yourself. You don't need to, uh, just hear it from us. You, you'll see it's, it, there's like some sites set up. There's actually donor it's this in the U S there's a donor network. I tried to look for one in Canada. I couldn't find the equivalent in Canada, but there's like a donor network in the U S. Mm. Um, so this stuff is going to get bigger. And, and like I said, the, the sicker, if the sicker I was, the fewer other treatments there are to, to, you know, uh, to address whatever I'm suffering with, I, I would, I would definitely think of this and not just for gut related things. Yeah. Yeah. In I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious to see how, um, the following of people who have received one long-term, like what are the results? Cause right now all these studies are relatively short-term. Um, and I do think that that's, that's really the consensus on a lot of these articles is like the current evidence is says it's generally safe with few adverse effects. We still don't know really long-term outcomes of F FMTs, at least not at least there doesn't seem to be anything in literature yet, but I'm curious to see how that. I think that's out. a literature and science following, you know, money problem more so yeah, than this. Maybe. And, and the cool thing about this, you know, you you brought up like, do do, do they colonize? And I, and we should say that the likelihood of something colonizing from a fecal microbial transplant is way better than uh, 
a probiotic. Number one, we can't even we can't even get out the majority of the probiotics that are anaerobic or um what's the other not anaerobic but like facultative aerobes or whatever it's mm. called. Like we can't even get those, you know, into our mouth to and then and then even hope that they get to our, our rectum. Yeah. Our colon. We can't even like that's just that's just no good. But if you do it this way and yeah. you look at a lot of the transfers, they're trying to minimize exposure to uh oxygen. So I think that I personally think that's a lot of why this uh actually will work deeper and better than uh a probiotic is because you're getting those uh facultative uh aerobes and um and anaerobic uh bacteria going directly in where they're supposed to be. Hmm. Yeah. So, so this changes the soil, and 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 yeah, you still have to have yeah. Still this will change the soil. Still got to fertilize that soil. Mm-hmm. I know. Um, with Dr. Lori Dixon, we had her coming in. We had her come on to talk about coffee enemas, and she and I have had private discussions about even things like using enemas, even as a way to administer probiotics again directly as well. So you get much more of an efficacious dose in the right place. Um, I haven't really gone that route with a lot of people. People are very squeamish about enemas in first place, even though I do recommend them and like flushes and all these things. But, um, I think oh, that the yuck that factors be... there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then like, you know, I get it. You're very vulnerable. Like having to put a tube in your butthole is like a really weird situation. If you have kids running around, it's probably very stressful. So I get, I get the hesitation for people, you know, parents and like feeling like you have a moment to even relax and do something like this. I get it. But it could be, it could be really promising. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to see, I, I think they've been doing this in Europe longer than they have been in the U S if I remember correctly. Cause I feel like it was much more common in like the UK years ago. So I'm, I, I wonder if looking for studies or any kind of literature from Europe might give us more of an idea of like longstanding effects. Uh, yeah, I would, I would say, uh, that would make that would check out. I, I feel like uh, we're a little uh, slower to the uptake of a lot of stuff in North yeah. America. Yeah. Um, so I'm just looking at a fecal microbiota transplantation. Yeah. So a few years ago, it looks like the number of studies sort of uh, reached its max 2020. Um, yeah. Most of my articles are more recent, but from like 2015 to more current. Yeah, I was going to say, it seemed like around, I, I remember l- reading more about this in 2015, sort of that time. And and that's when the research started to come out a little bit more. But I think, it, like I said, it's been done since like the 50s. Cool. By some brave, by some brave people. Yeah, Guys, no there's, study- a, there's a bit of hope for the hoop. Oh my God. I put it out there. Anyway, it's going to be the title of this episode anyway. So like, why not? (laughs) Hype or hope? Yeah. Hoop dreams. Hoop dreams. Okay, guys. So I I hope that gives you a little bit of uh, insight into the, uh, the um, safety profile and, and uh, possible, possible applications of putting poop in the hoop. Yeah. Yeah. Poop in the hoop. Um, yeah. Again, Dr. Dave and I, we have not implemented this with any patients. We are not experts on this. It was just a conversation based on the literature we found. And this is not medical advice to go ahead and just implement this yourself. Please work with a practitioner. Just want to put that out there. 